Hey book friends, this is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation or maybe spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. This is Season 2, Episode 6, and today we're exploring nonfiction about women in honor of Women's History Month. Before we get telling into telling you about Women's History Month, uh, I guess we should ask how our week was, and maybe in as a full disclosure, <laughs> we should let you know that this is take two of this episode. So if it sounds a little weird and off, we had a lovely one-hour conversation about these books, yeah, as well as some really great banter about Ryan Gosling and how his face never moves, <laughs> but he's still hot. And then... We lost it. It just went off into the ether. Yeah. Technology. Can't trust it, but we rely so heavily on it. Oh, man. I know. So I I at least feel better that after Robert looked and examined things, he could say that it was most likely not human error because I was feeling really guilty that maybe I (laughs) fucked something, screwed something up. (laughs) Explicit sign. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it happens. I think we had it happen last season, too. We had to re-record an episode. Did we? I think so. I must have blocked it out. Yeah. We'll probably block this one out as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but we're excited to talk about these books one more time for you. Probably not in as much detail. Yes. It'll you probably should. be shorter. Yes, it'll probably be shorter, <laughs> so you're welcome. You won't get an hour of us arguing with each other. <laughs> Only maybe like 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it is kind of funny that we're happy to revisit this. I'm curious. To see, actually, I'm kind of curious to see how our conversation goes, knowing what we talked about last time. I kind of feel like I'm probably not going to be so haughty like I was last time. Ah, yeah, you should have heard our little practice warm-up. We sounded like death warmed over. <laughs> We're trying to be cheery now. I know. I told Kiri, I was like, we've got to pep it up a little bit. We sounded so depressed. <laughs> it's because we lost an episode, I think. Yes. I think that's always kind of a downer. Let's have a couple seconds of silence for the lost episode. That's probably enough. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we're just going to jump right in and talk about the tea. Yeah. Uh, that we're not drinking because we already drank it all. But it was great. <laughs> so you get to hear about it still. Uh, so I decided to try out this really fun uh, tea subscription. It's called Sips Buy. And it's super affordable and a really great value, I think, for what you get. So you get four different types of tea. And they say it's enough to make over 40 cups of tea with re-steeping. You get a little reusable tea steeping bag. And inside of there is disposable tea bags. And it's $15 with no shipping costs, and you can cancel at any time. So what I think what's awesome about it is that you fill out this tea profile online, and then they send you a monthly selection of teas based on the preference profile that you filled out. So when I filled it out, I tried to take into account what I knew of Kiri's taste as well as mine, since I knew I'd be sharing all the tea with her. And um, I follow them on Instagram. And one of the cool things that they also do is they're always adding new tea partners. And then they often will be doing giveaways. So Mm. um, to promote their new tea partners. And even better, if you try it out through the link in our show notes, you'll get $5 off your first order. So you'll get your first month for $10. Nice. For four different types of tea. That's awesome. 40 cups. 
That's amazing. That's you go to the store and you spend at least $10 on a box of tea. Yeah, on a premium tea especially. Yeah. And these are really nice ones. And, you know, they really try and do uh, small companies and mm-hmm. organic and fair trade, all the things that is important to us. So yeah. I think it's really cool. So to give you an idea, they send you a little sheet and it says made for Corey at the top of it. And they do a little fun little thing and it says, Corey, this February China celebrates Year of the Dog. So I actually got this in February. And we'll all celebrate Valentine's day with hot teas in our lives and so i got a cup of sunshine which was a caffeine free tea and it had organic honey bush and organic canna canna herb um, and it was by traditional medicinals and then a peach and passion fruit black tea that was really tasty um, a bangkok chai that um this is gonna sound weird but it kind of reminded me of tom kai gai soup yeah, I don't know. I, I was it was good. I liked it. We did try the peach one though. Didn't oh, that's we right. Did. We did. We did the peach and passion fruit. Oh yeah, we did. For which one? I don't know. We'll probably talk about it again, so (laughs) stay tuned. But the one that we drank when we first recorded this episode was probably my favorite out of the bunch, and it was called Meditative Mind. It's by a company called The Tea Spot, and it's a white tea. Um, It also has some jasmine green tea and some rosebuds and petals, and it's supposed to sharpen your mind and arouse your senses. It's also uplifting and soothing, and and the jasmine um, is supposed to ease nervous tension and stress. Uh, And... It's just a really light, delicate tea. It's not super flowery, which I like. Um, had a little bit of, I, th- I think, a little bit of tang at the end. Do you remember what you thought of it? I think I thought it was too flower, flowery. Mm, flowery. Flowery. Okay. <clears throat> oh, but it was good. It was good. It was. Oh, and then the last thing that they do is that uh, you will get a, you can get 50%, or not 50, excuse me, 15 to 20% off if you want to go and buy any of the teas directly from the tea companies. Oh, nice. So it's a really cool little company. And so if you like subscription boxes, this is of an affordable one to do. And again, if you use the link in our show notes, you'll get $5 off. Okay. Moving on. Women's month. Women's month. Yeah. It's kind of strange because we're almost at the end. Actually, I think this one will post after women's month. Yeah. I think our timing is off for all of our things. We should probably go and redo it. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> We, don't we were this. doing weekly in the first season, so I right. think that's why we said mm. we could do all of these books mm-hmm. in March because we still have one more yeah. episode after this for <laughs> Women's Month, which will be the middle of April. Yeah. Strategi- so. We're strategizing. <laughs> we're just strategizing. We're figuring it out. It's all right. <laughs> you all listen to us anyways, right? Even if we're off. It's true. <laughs> so. Come on. Come on. All right. So you want to talk a little bit about the history of Women's Month? Sure. So, Women's Month, yay women. We're pretty awesome. Yay women! Woohoo! There's my pet. We're, we, the world cannot uh, continue without us. It's true. We are the keepers of life. Yeah. Well, we're not. We have the ability no, to we don't. keep life or not keep life. You and I do not. Well, that's true. <laughs> I was like, Corey, why are you arguing? <laughs> oh, because we're both spayed. That's right. Anyway. <laughs> Sometimes I forget. Yes. So according to Wikipedia, Women's Month is an annual declared month that highlights the contributions of women to events in history and contemporary society. It is celebrated during March in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia, corresponding with International Women's Day on March 8th. And the first Women's Month traces back to 1911. Wow. So pre-right to vote. Yeah. 
because we got the right to vote in what, 1925? I don't know. 26? I don't know American history very well, but But. I can tell you a whole bunch about British history. See, I don't know much about British history, but I can tell you quite a bit about American history. We're the perfect pair. We are. (laughs) We usually don't agree on books. That gives you everyone a great perspective. (laughs) We agree sometimes. I feel like we both rated a book recently on Goodreads. True. And I made a comment of, oh my God, we're both matching this. Yeah. Yes. I wonder what book that was. It was the Emily Giffen book that's coming up next oh, right. episode. Oh, right. Because we rated it very poorly. There's an arc for her newest book out um, at work. I'm just trying to decide whether or not to spend some time reading it. Probably not. So Read about the trees. I am going to. They're so fascinating. I know. Yeah. All right. Okay. Whew. All right, we are like all over the place today. It's because we're you're... redoing it, so we're trying to make it even more fascinating. Yeah, we're trying to keep ourselves engaged and interested, <laughs> folks, because we're like, dang it, we got to talk about these books again. Exactly. No, actually, I, I well, I liked both the books, but I I know how you feel about them, so we'll let everyone else know how you feel about them. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's a common trend of me not liking books. Mm. At least I read them. Yeah. And I don't know if I provide helpful reasons why I don't like them. Sometimes well, it's just, they're just dumb and I don't like them. You but know, then I, other times I feel like I kind of explain why uh-huh, it doesn't uh-huh. suit well with me or yep. whatever. I, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. And I actually was just thinking about that this morning. No, seriously, I was. Because I feel like um, I, I'm, re- I'm finishing up a book right now called The History of Bees, which I like, but I'm not like... Oh my god! Yeah. Like it was, it was good, and on an intellectual, literary level, I'm like, yeah, this is really well written, and it kept me engaged enough that I wanted to finish it. But I wasn't like, oh my gosh, everyone should read this book, right? And I feel like I have more books that I'm not like, oh my gosh, you should read this. But I guess, I, I guess that's normal, though, right? I mean, I guess if you think about it as a bell curve. There's probably about 10% of, 10 to 20% of the books that we read that we're just super passionately excited about. There's probably a huge chunk of them that we're like, yeah, that was pretty good. That was a good read. That's true, yeah. And then there's some that were like, that was terrible. Right, yeah. So maybe that's normal. I think so. Listeners, why don't you like weigh in? Send us some comments and some love. Tell us what you think. (laughs) Do you think that you follow a bell curve with your reading? I think we all have to. We must. I don't know anybody who just loves all books and or hates all books or feels melancholy about all books. If they do, then they need to expand their repertoire of books. <laughs> you think? I think so. Yeah. Like sometimes if you read the same author over and over again, like mm-hmm. you start to pick up like Jane Austen, for example, when we had our discussion about how all of her books are somewhat similar of there's always females and things like that. Yeah. No, I hear you. Okay. You didn't turn it on. Yeah. We're going to go headphones free. I don't think they're really working today for some reason. We'll worry about that later. (laughs) Technology. Okay. Technology. Okay. Do you want to talk about your book first or should we talk about the book that I picked? Um, well, I'm looking at your books. So on my notes, let's go with yours. So the, what is it called? It's the underground girls of Kabul by Jenny Nordberg. Yeah. And it is creative nonfiction. Yeah. Slash immersive journalism. Yeah. Which I love and, Kiri doesn't. Kiri. So, so let's talk. Let's talk about that for a minute. So, why? What? So, let's talk about what you struggle with this type of writing, and what I, and then I could kind of compare with what I do enjoy about it, so our readers kind of know what to expect. I kind of feel like with immersive journalism, they don't do a good job of not being attached 
to what they're writing. Mm. And I understand that because they're being immersed into what they're doing, Mm -hmm. there's always a flavor of favoring the people that they're writing about. That's I think that's human nature. Right. But if you're in a journalistic approach, I think you're kind of taught to not take either sides and just to say the facts, right? That's what journalism usually is about. I think like newspaper journalism is, but I think when you get into creative nonfiction, you're going to get these biases. I mean, it would be a super boring and or long book if she was trying to do both sides. I mean, she's certainly making an argument. Like if you think about it as like a thesis or a dissertation, if you will, she's made, she has a specific point she's trying to make. Yeah. And I understand that. I just don't, I don't think it's an effective way. Like I either want fiction or nonfiction. Mm. I don't want the flair of combining the two together. I don't Uh. want the flair of trying to I don't know, make somebody feel a certain way. Like, I don't necessarily want to be influenced to feel a certain way based on somebody's writing. I want to feel a certain way based on the facts. Mm. Does that make sense? It totally does. And that's, again, where we completely diverge, (laughs) which is fascinating. I wonder if it's because I'm from the sciences. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I I was an English major. I am an English major. But when I worked at USGS for seven years, Mm -hmm. it's like, here's the data. Yep. You get to decide whether you want to do something or not. Right. Well, and that, you know, that actually makes perfect sense considering that I come from more of a social science background. Right. So I want to hear people's stories. Yeah. I want to connect. I want to like be able to have tangible people that I can relate to, whether I hate them or I love them. Um, you know, when I do research, I love combining quantitative with qualitative data. For me, straight numbers, boring. I'm like, oh, that's great. And it, it has a, I don't know, I can't even think of a technical term right now, so we'll keep going. But, you know, but then you add in, you you tell me that there's a statistical significance in this data, and then you share an example of someone's story that demonstrates it. I am all over that. Yeah, and I, I can see the advantages of that, but I think I just like them to be separate. I don't like the infusion of both <gasps> of those genres together. And that's ironic because to me, one of the biggest compliments I can give a nonfiction book is if it reads like a novel for me. If if it has a story that I can get immersed in, I, I mean, like, I, I don't want to read a textbook. If I want to read a dry, boring, factual thing, then I'll go take a class. But if, I think some nonfiction can be read like a story. Right. Like if they are... If somebody has majored in King Henry VIII for their undergrad, their master's, and their PhD, they probably know King Henry VIII like Mm -hmm. that's their best friend. And they can share that story or, you know, the history of King Henry VIII because they know so much about it. So it's easier, right? So that quote Mm -hmm. from Einstein, I think it was, if you can't describe it in simple terms, then you don't understand it. Oh, okay. Oh, that is good. I think that, I mean, I think I'm paraphrasing, but mm -hmm. it's that same similar concept of if you can't explain something well, then you don't really know it. And so if you are super enthralled with King Henry VIII or I'm looking around at books, whatever other (laughs) thing that you want to know, if you can't explain it to somebody who doesn't have a degree in it and you can't keep it interesting, then you don't actually know the subject. True. True, true. So I think... It's just finding those good nonfiction writers that really dive in deep and it takes them more than five years to write a book because they're trying to 
get all the information mm-hmm. and to be as knowledgeable as they can about the subject. But I think that's what Jenny Norberg does. She immerses. I mean, you can't go, you can't immerse yourself in King Henry VIII's life, right? right. So, I mean, you could by reading. But that, no. No. They read the old letters. They read the old no, documents. Is, they immerse no. themselves. <laughs> <laughs> no. Correct. You can't go back to 16 <laughs> At least whatever and yeah. hang out with King Henry VIII, which yeah. I would really like to do. But so, so that's interesting. So you liked, I think you like to have some distance from what you want your writer to have some distance from what they're writing about where for yeah. me I love it when they're in the thick of it yeah i think that you can't you can't make a a good nonfiction piece by being immersed in it mm. well we're just going to have to agree to disagree <laughs> so, so this book so this book so we've given you a really great setup folks i know um i don't really remember what it's about okay i can i can talk about it a little bit. So basically, um, the the premise is is that in Afghanistan, and in particular, oh she, right, yeah, okay, sorry, she's in the city of Kabul. Light bulb. <laughs> yes, she carries back on track with us. Um, Jenny Norberg explore learns about and explores this culture of families that, in order to bring good luck to their families as well as preserve preserve honor, um, will sometimes turn their pre pre pubescent little girls into boys. They dress them up as boys, they give them boy names, and it's one of those weird, bizarre, open secrets. Mm -hmm. So obviously people around them know that they didn't have a boy, um, because they rarely do it when they're, sometimes they'll do it when they're babies, but usually they'll have like three or four girls, and they'll be like, okay, five-year-old, you're going to be Sam today for the rest of and And there's all these superstitions, I guess would be the word I would use, and ideas that uh, sometimes they feel like that by tra- transforming one of their girl children into a boy child, that that will then allow them to have a, uh, a, um, a biologically male child. <laughs> and so what Nora Burke does is she explores this culture and she looks at it, and so the, the the parts are divided up by boys, youth, men, and fathers. And so for each section, she's interviewing mothers and children and young women and and so forth for each of those age groups and exploring what kind of impact has this had on them, why would they do it, um, and a lot of exploration around just kind of how women are viewed and treated in the Afghan culture. Yeah. And she talks to doctors who there's a one doctor who can guarantee that you'll have a boy. If you sit like this after having sex and drink these herbs. Right. Yeah. And she has like this great success rate. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a 50, 50 shot lady. (laughs) Totally. And it's up to the dude technically. Yeah. Um, Which is always the irony of the situation. I know. They should always be to blame, (sighs) but they're not. Anyway, it does talk about a lot of other cultures as well and what other people view Mm -hmm. women as Mm -hmm. and men as and how there's kind of this theme of women are kind of put in this box of you have to be this way and do these things and you can't do these things. And Mm -hmm. then men are at the ability to speak their mind and wear pants and Mm -hmm. go off to work and not have to worry about children or feeding the family. I mean, it's definitely the typical... Mm -hmm male versus female roles and responsibilities that some of us are breaking out of, but a lot of 
mm-hmm. a lot of other people are not. Well, and it gets into the complexity of the, I guess, really the psyche of these children because, number one, when they become a boy, they get all this freedom. Yeah. They become the favored child. Yeah. So they get special treats and all of this stuff. But there's, for most of them, like 99% of them, there's a time, there's a clock ticking. And at a certain point, they're going to be put back, expected, you know, so they spend all this time learning how to act like the stereotypical male of their culture, Mm -hmm. how to walk, how to talk, how to present themselves. You know, she made a lot of, I know she talked a lot about eye contact, things like that. That was one of her, her, the keys that she found that she could tell if someone had been a boy before because they would make direct eye contact with her. And then all of a sudden when they're hitting puberty, which we know is already a messed up time, they suddenly have to turn back into these submissive, not valued women. Yeah. And learn how to be a woman. And I think she touched about like whether or not that made women lesbians or that they feel like they've lost their identity by being turned back into a woman. And Mm -hmm. I I think there was one woman where she's like, I didn't know how to interact with a man, like mm-hmm. sexually, intimately. It mm-hmm. was different because she grew up as a boy for so long. And I think she also kind of wanted to stay that way, mm-hmm. but was forced into becoming a woman because mm-hmm. women go That's through pretty intense puberty times. Right. And so the the post-puberty women that she talked to, I mean, they went to great lengths to continue that and yeah. and with you know and again they were very rare and that I you know though I think the only way they could do it was with the support of their family which I thought that in itself was interesting that a couple of families were kind of like okay you can keep being the boy <laughs> um but but yeah I mean because you just think of how messed up that would be you have been enculturated to be a boy and hang out with other boys or men and then suddenly, which means that you don't really associate with women or chil- or girls unless that they're your sisters. Right. And then all of a sudden you're magically turned back into a girl and you're expected to hang out with girls, which you've never, which you've not done in years. Right. And you don't really even know how, like you said, you don't know how to relate to men romantically, but you don't know how to relate to women as friends. Right. It's, it's just kind of, a mess. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of like praying away the gay. Of- yeah. Yeah. Somebody comes out and mm-hmm. then their family's like, you're going to go to this special church where they're probably going to hook you up some crazy device and shock yep. you out of being gay. And sure, it's, I can't even imagine being told like you are this one person <laughs> and then five, uh-huh. seven years later, you are now this person. Like uh-huh. what kind of mind game that would be? terrible yeah i mean and i think you saw that with the older ones that mm-hmm. she talked to you know the little ones the, the you know like the little boy um who was like seven or eight i mean he's just having he she is having a good time i know do you respond with a he and i think they refer to uh, she talked about yeah, that as yeah a he. which you know again there was an extra layer you're talking a hyper conservative patriarchal society who would not really condone cross-dressing or transgenderism but yet they're forcing it on these children it's so fascinating oh it's just it's so out there i mean and i mean i feel like one of the things i liked about this book a lot is i think the only other book i think the well i was thinking so i read three cups of tea um which is a nonfiction book we can talk about which he's bringing schools to women in uh afghanistan oh right and Mm -hmm. i think the country next to it which i can never say kyrgyzstan kyrgyzstan thank you mm-hmm. and then um i read khaled 
Hosini's 10,000 Sons, which is also in both of his books. And that's really my only exposure to the Afghan Pakistani cultures. The Kite Runner, did you read that? Oh, The Kite Runner, yeah. Yeah. And those were both, all three of those books were really interesting, but I haven't read them in years. And so I think that was one of the things, even though it was a tough subject to read about, I really enjoyed learning about the culture and the traditions, even if I don't agree with them or I found them frustrating. It was just learning about it. It's just helpful to, I think, you know, we don't spend enough time learning about other countries, whether we think that what they do is right or not. It just is, helps under, have it, it expands your worldview, I think. Do you think that it's easier to do a country instead of a political view? Yes. <laughs> because if in America, I mean, we have... Mm-hmm very different ways of being and ideas and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I notice that I get more frustrated reading something that I don't necessarily believe in Mm -hmm. and, you know, feeling somewhat ashamed of this is where our country currently is in Mm -hmm. regards to the evolution Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. women's rights, gay rights, all of those things. And I think it's an easier thing to swallow when I can look at a different country and be like, wow, you are batshit crazy. (laughs) Even though currently the United States, in my opinion, is also batshit crazy. Well, you have distance and you're like, well, it's not my country. Right. You know, so you're going to be like, you're this oppressive patriarchic, patriarchic society who's still living like it's, I don't know, the BC times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's why I can't like read any Fox news things mm -hmm. because I'm just like, that is a different way of thinking, mm-hmm. and in my opinion, it's not the right way of thinking, mm. and I can't even dive into why people think that women don't have rights or gays don't have mm-hmm. rights. Like, to me, that's mm-hmm. so barbaric, Yeah, and I can't read anything about the opposing side of that, but I can totally read about the crazy shit that's happening in Afghanistan or yeah. anywhere out Russia. I mean... Well, because, it's not, because you know, it's, even if some weirdly similar things are slowly like there's touches of things like that that happen here but not to the extremes and you know you're just never gonna you're never you're you're not gonna be living there and having yeah. to experience yeah. that so yeah. so yeah I think um yeah I I, I think I really um I, I I thought it was good. I did find myself skipping some of the historical pieces. Yeah. There was some parts where I, I appreciated that she delved into other parts of the world and other countries that it had that it had historic traditions of women dressing up like men. Um, she talked. She got into this one weird thing with religion. It was a religion that started with a Z. I can't remember, like Zoroastrianism. Yeah. Something. And I was just like, I don't even know why you're talking about right. this. I think I skipped that whole chapter. But the stories of the actual people, mm-hmm. <laughs> I really found fascinating. Um, I thought. You know, I mean, so here's the rub is you're like, how can she have a neutral point of view? I don't think she went into that wanting a neutral point of view. I don't think you'd want her to have a neutral point of view. You would have been so angry if she had gone in and tried to justify this and say, this is okay. I don't think I would have been angry because she would have had to go out of her own comfort zone and her own idea of what is right and wrong Mm -hmm. and get information about why they think it's okay. But she did do that. I mean, I mean. Yeah, but. You know, it's just like if a Republican can try uh-huh. like talk to me in a kind manner and explain uh-huh. to me why they voted the way they voted or why they don't think this is mm-hmm. the right thing to do, 
I have respect for that. It's when people start name calling and start mm-hmm. getting nasty, like Facebook. I can't look at Facebook. Anytime somebody mentions Trump on Facebook, I hide them automatically because right. it's not a thought out yeah. conversation. It is a shit show of I hate this guy mm-hmm. and I hate everything that he stands for. But she didn't do that in this book. But I, No, I'm saying that oh, if okay. she did oh, okay. argue for the opposing okay. side and she did it eloquently enough uh-huh. to kind of give us that world view yeah. of it, I think I would have appreciated it more. Sorry, I'm going to go ahead. Keep no, going. it's all you. So I guess my perspective, I, I'd like to make the argument, though, though, that she did. Like when I think back on reading the book, she, a lot of her conversations with the different people was her trying to understand why families would do this. She spent a lot of time explaining what was the point of it, why these families made these choices, how it benefited them. And I think she kind of continued to say at the end, I don't know that I buy into this. I don't know if this is okay, but we're saying that too. So I think she actually did spend a lot of time recording and sharing the perspectives of the families. She didn't just say, this is wrong. She kind of presented, here's what happened. Here's, you know, I I feel like she, in a lot of ways, did have a fairly neutral voice. I think when she wrapped up, she was like, we need to be advocating for women's rights. This isn't great. This is not a way, you know. And I think she also, again, it's been a while since I finished it, but she was also questioning. She's like, is this, you know, because I think when she was wrapping up her conversations with them, I think she even asked them, do you think this is a good thing? And I think some of them were like, yeah, absolutely. This gives us freedom. This is our own subversive way of having power. And she was kind of like, huh, okay. And then kind of was like, but is it? And that was kind of where she left things. Yeah, I guess what I notice a lot with when we talk about women's rights or gay rights or, you know, rights in general, rights in general is that especially in America, we view it so strongly that we think that every country also should view it that way. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like with Afghanistan and those other countries, I don't know if they'll ever get to the point of mm-hmm. having a quote unquote women's rights rally, mm-hmm. because that's just not how they have been sure. brought up. And yeah. the women themselves, most of them aren't fighting for it. Right. And so I think it's not okay for us to impose that on them. Like if this is mm-hmm. the way that they want to live and they're okay with it, then kudos think, to them. Yeah. But I think a lot of the times, you know, people make comments about women's rights for everyone and we don't know what those cultures mm-hmm. have grown up with in mm-hmm. and what they believe in. Sure. And so we're kind of doing that thing that we don't like doing of pushing something down somebody's throat that they sure. may or may not want. So it's just finding that act of mm-hmm. you have this white woman going into Afghanistan. She's Swedish, by the way. She's not American. But she's still a white woman. Right, right. But but just, yeah. But And in Sweden, they have, they're okay with LGBTQ. Yeah. They're okay mm-hmm. with everything. And mm-hmm. so they're already... She's already going in there as this privileged woman in a different way of being, going mm-hmm. into a country that experiences life differently. Yeah. And I think she still kind of has that, the whole question of, is this okay? Mm-hmm. If the people are okay with it and the women are okay with it, yeah. it's not my place to say you need to change. Sure. Well, and I think, but I think that's where she kind of left things. Like she was very ambivalent at the end. I think she was like, uh, she was just kind of questioning and, and asking. I don't know that she, you know, she kind of had a call. I think she had. She, I mean, she had a call to action, but right. I think, actually, I wrote something down. Let me see if I can find it. 
Mm. Oh, I made a lot of notes. Oh, as always. <laughs> um. Oh, here we go. There's, um, I thought this was a good quote. Uh, the, the, let me see. The fear, the extreme fear of, ins the, ugh, I can't talk today. <laughs> the extreme fear that, in, that the insecurity of war creates uh, fuels con conservatism. And then countries that want to develop econ econ economies and standards of living can't shut down half their population. Mm -hmm. There's a connection between gender and violence. Women's rights should be a priority or concern, not an issue. So that's what I wrote down from her conclusion, which I read really poorly. But I think she doesn't say we must do this. I think I I agree with what she's saying there. I think that there is some issue. <laughs> there are some. Isn't there, there's some concerns that mm -hmm. need to be addressed, and it's n not okay. And and we can't really necessarily say because they don't really have a voice. Right. Well, I mean, we don't really either. True. I mean, that's the problem is that, that we is can say like Afghanistan, mm -hmm. their women's rights are completely non-existent. But when you look at America, ours too is also pretty non-existent. Like mm -hmm. at this point, abortions are probably going to become illegal and mm -hmm. that is a woman's right. I mean, sure. women still make less than men. Women, oh, yeah. I mean, I hear you. it's easy to say women's rights, Afghanistan <laughs> needs to have it, but then like our own country can't do sure. it so no i hear you i think we're I th mm -hmm. and i think this is what this movement is about is trying to create that memento of mm -hmm. women's rights and mm -hmm. making it so that we're heard mm -hmm. but i think given this political situation it's going to be a while i yep yeah, i agree i feel like we should probably break because we've gone over oh gosh yes so there we go <laughs> boy we are still passionate about this topic yeah, yeah, definitely. um so we are going to move to our break and then we'll be back to talk about my selection. <laughs> <laughs> so for today's sponsor, we have a fun new partner. It's called FabFitFun, and it, it, is, it is a subscription box service that offers full-size beauty, fashion, fitness, tech and lifestyle products. It's a seasonal box, so it comes out four times a year. And for $49.99, you get a box filled with over $200 worth of full-size products. So you get fun accessories like purses, scarves, or jewelry, along with quality beauty products and other fun items like coffee mugs. So you can visit our the site to see what has been in past boxes. I know I've looked at a few things and I was like, oh, I would totally use that. If you use the link in our show notes and the code FIRSTBOXED, you to get $10 off your box for an even better deal. So for $39.99, you can get over $200 worth of products. So it sounds super cool. I've not tried it yet myself, but it's on my list of things to maybe splurge on as a treat. And um, so check it out. All right, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies. <laughs> So I picked All the Single Ladies by Rebecca Traister, which ended up, I think, being a really great companions to Kiri's pick. And I think the conversation that we were just having leads into this yeah. really well. Mm -hmm. um, 
And again, we'll just kind of go ahead and put it out there that Carrie and I have very differing, um, <laughs> I'm going to say perceptions of what the message of this book is, which I've, I still find very interesting. I've actually, Carrie doesn't know this, but I've thought a lot about this since we had our first conversation because I was just kind of like, how can we see things so differently? <laughs> um, which, you know, it's okay. But it's just fascinating to me that we had such different differing opinions on the message of um, Traster's book. Well, I feel like also after our discussion, it reminded me of a lot of things that I was overlooking or not remembering of the book because we read this, what, two years ago for book club. Right. So, yeah. And I wasn't going to reread it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember feeling haughty during that book discussion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there were other people pretty haughty in our book discussion as well. Like, I think that there was a good mix of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. feeling somewhat mm, bogged down by it and some mm-hmm. people really liked it. So, yep. Well, and I think, you know, that's true because I think, so what I, what I remember from our discussion in book club, which I think is relevant to this, is there was a couple of people who have quite, have done quite a bit of reading around um, women's history mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so they were very dismissive and found it very basic and boring. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple of women who were going through relationship challenges right. who really didn't want to hear <laughs> uh, the message of this book. Right. You had just gotten married. So yeah. I think, you know, going back to the, so I'll let you talk a little bit more about, so I don't think you were really receptive to the message yeah. of the book, but for me, so I'll start and then I'll let you jump in. The first thing I would say, well, I'll say two things. One, when I was reading through this, I don't have a comprehensive, um, I've not done a lot of reading on women's history. So for me, and I will put this out to listeners, if you are looking for a good entry-level book that gives you a quick snapshot of where we've come from, I think it does a good little down and dirty history of women's rights or lack thereof and how things have progressed through time. Um I really wish I could have gone back and given this book to my 20-something self because I feel like the message that I took away from it, in fact, I gave this to my 25-year-old sister who was going through quarter-life crisis and relationship issues, is it said, be who you want to be. If you want to be in a relationship, if you want to be married, that's cool. And know that there's privileges that come with that. Mm -hmm. If you want to be single, you should embrace that. You should be comfortable in who you are, which is why I'm, I keep being shocked that you were so angry about this book because I feel like for you, you're always like, be who you are. Right. Be comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. Love who you are. Love what's in your life right now. Yeah. And to me, that was what this book was talking about. And you were like, no, it was saying marriage sucks. And I'm like, but no, that's not the message, Gary. And now that I've had time to think about it, I was able, I think I'm able to respond to you a little more eloquently of what <laughs> I took away, at least what I took away from it. And, and that's not to devalue the, what you remember taking away from the book, but I think that's why I was so taken aback because I felt like this was so in your wheelhouse of like, yeah. of, I think because it didn't say that throughout the book, mm. like it just kind of said, people get married at 18, they have a baby at 19, they have a picket house or picket (laughs) fence house, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't about the flavor of accepting where you are and who Mm -hmm. you're with and who you're not with wasn't strong throughout Mm. the book. It was interspersed between certain sections of, Mm -hmm. hey, you're single, totally cool, you be you. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're married, totally cool, you be you. But in between those sections was just so much... Mm -hmm. 
But see, but that's where it gets into the stuff that you were just talking about before the break of of all the di- the disparity in rights between single women and married women, the right. expe- the societal expectations of you, whether you're married or single, and the expectations that you're probably going to get married, and if you're not, gee, you seem like such a great person, Carrie. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, I mean, there was just... And I think that, and again, I think that's what I liked is she pulled in like the historical aspect and the sociological aspect and the psychological. I mean, it was really kind of a cultural study of of the evolution of women in particular, single women, because one of her big premises is we're getting married older and later, right. which we're both. I mean, you got married about the same age I did. Yeah. So, you know, and so a lot of her, I think her big thesis question is, is why is that and why is that possible? I guess I just don't view your singlehood or marriedhood as the number one thing that we need to focus on. Well, I agree with you, but society says otherwise. But I don't think it does. I think mm. we think that society does. Like, at this common day and age, I don't think society gives two fucks if we're oh, married or not. T- oh, they totally do. I don't think they do. And maybe it's just the people that I hang out with. Well, I don't pay attention to the news media because Trump okay. is president and it drives me crazy. Right. But... Like, all the women that I know Mm -hmm. and that I am friends with, they do not care one way or another. I mean, when I dated Mm -hmm. women and I started dating a man, all of my lesbian friends basically stopped being friends with me. So I see that. Like, that to me was a bigger shift than whether I Mm -hmm. was just dating Chris and in a relationship with Mm -hmm. him versus married. Like, that wasn't something that people were gung-ho about right but that's the people you choose to surround yourself with both so but if we take a step back and we say society and she talks about this well she okay so first i'll say let's just bring it around not even you know let's not even talk heterosexual heterosexual marriage that sounds really awkward um (laughs) so i mean that's one of the things that comes up with the idea of gay marriage marriage is a contract Right. Marriage is not, I mean, you have, you can have that spiritual aspect of it, but at the end of the day, like you're signing a contract with someone, that legal binding contract. Mm -hmm. And, and with that legal binding contract comes an ass load of benefits financially with, and I know we debated this before, (laughs) but it's, the statistics don't lie. The, you know, you get more tax deductions as a married couple. If you start having kids, you get more tax right. deductions. There's um, often, it, it's typically cheaper to, um, from like a benefits standpoint for families or children, you know, for, versus single people, especially over the long run, if you add it up over time. I've read some articles about it that have done the numbers and being, and you get screwed if you're a lifetime single person. But see, what's interesting is that when I was single mm-hmm. and it was just me on my insurance, they uh-huh. were taking $22 out of my paycheck. As a married woman, they are now taking 110 So, But it's also gone up a lot since you probably... That was two years ago. Chris and I have been married for two years. Hmm. So I think even last year, the single rate was only 25 Hmm. So I don't know if it's quote unquote cheaper in regards to insurance because no. I don't feel like it's cheaper because <laughs> instead of $50, it's now 200 Right. And that's just with 
a partner. Like if you Mm -hmm. were to add a partner and kids, it would be even more expensive. Like that's why my surgery was free because it's cheaper for them to pay for that surgery than for me to add people onto my insurance. Right, right. And I get NAU pays like a ridiculous amount of money towards the insurance. So we are great, you know, we are privileged Mm -hmm. in that regards. But I just, I don't know, maybe... But, you know, I mean, but there is just, a, you know, you have two incomes. So it's, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of things. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I, cause I've read several articles about this cause I find it really fascinating. Right. And there's, there's been a lot of economic studies done and it basically over the lifetime, a single woman is the person who's going to get the most screwed out of anyone in, in, in America, um, when it comes to income right. and costs and all the things they're going to make less money and have less benefits overall over the course of their lifetime. Right. And we have to stay young and we have to stay fit and we have to always wear makeup and our right. hair has to be done nicely. And yeah, uh, but, we're like, and we're the ones that have to give birth and experience <laughs> periods. And yeah. I think like women just basically get the shit end of the deal most of the time. Yeah. So <laughs> for me, I, and so a, a couple of just standout things, and I know we talked about this in our, before, and the one that, got effed up um <laughs> i thought she did a really lovely job exploring so one of the things that she does that i like <laughs> is she talks with real women yeah. um it's not she follows different women she interviews them she includes their stories in there so she again she brings these stack these facts and i just made a new word up stacks stacks facts statistics data she brings it to life with real women's stories which as we know i love and she talks a lot about female friendships and mm-hmm. having just come off of a backpacking trip with six other women. It was such a powerful experience and it made me reaffirmed. Like I love doing things with my spouse, but like having just all this like women energy around me and really positive and affirming. And, um, it was, lovely. you know, it was just different. Yeah. And she spends a lot of time talking about how sometimes we discount the value of that and how, that allows women sometimes to marry later and not feel lonesome and stressed out because they have this opportunity to develop these powerful relationships that don't have anything to do with sex, but still are very fulfilling. Yeah. Um, and then I think she talks a lot about that being married isn't the end all be all that there comes a whole nother package of expectations with that. As far as when are you having kids and you know, so again, she kind of delves into that a lot as well. I loved the book. Um, I still, I recommend both of them. I don't know where Curie stands on either of them right now. So I think they're her. both fine. Like, <laughs> they're not my favorite. I wouldn't reread them again. I wouldn't buy them. Right. But I do think that they offer different insights. And whether or not I think that they're good insights is irrelevant. Like, sure. every woman has their own view of what it is to be a woman and mm-hmm. what they think is fair. Um I think both of them, regardless of how, and I think you would, what I'm hearing you say, I'm totally, like, I just totally counseled you there. Um, (laughs) You may have not necessarily agreed with everything that they had to say or been like, this is my favorite book ever, but they made you think. Totally. And that's what's great is that they are a mind. Mm -hmm. They make you think. They make you not really... you don't get lost in it because you're thinking about, oh, the social norms or mm-hmm. what it is to be a woman or how I identify as mm-hmm. a woman and what I do to maybe when I say, oh, you look really pretty today. Maybe I should change that to be like, I value your intelligence because that's mm-hmm. what we are, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you look really pretty. It's like, gee, thanks. 
do I not look pretty every other day? Or <laughs> why does it matter what I look like? Why can't you? Mm-hmm. That's what I liked about Christina Yang on Grey's Anatomy. She's like, compliment my brain, not my beauty. Yeah. Because it is a societal thing of, oh, have you lost weight? Oh, your hair looks so nice. Oh, that's really cool what you did with your eye makeup. Oh, like, your outfit is fabulous. I'm like, <laughs> cool. Like, yeah. And on one hand, you appreciate that people notice you've done something different. Right. But a compliment I, is a compliment. But I have certainly had that feeling where I'm like, especially like if I've done like something drastically different with my hair, like after a haircut. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, did you think it looked like shit before? I know. When I got bangs, everybody <laughs> was like, oh my God. I'm like, I know. I love them. <laughs> so, and so I think it'll... I, I think they're enlightening. I think if you don't have, especially sing, all the single ladies, it's a great entry-level book if you're wanting to just kind of get a little snapshot of yeah. what it means to be a 21st century woman in, in comparison to the past. And I think, you know, it helps you maybe form or confirm values, ideas, beliefs that you mm-hmm. may have about yourself. And give them a shot. Yeah. Okay, Ooh. next time. More All right. Women, right? So, um, continuing our uh, belated Women's History Focus Month, uh, now we're moving into modern chiclet. <laughs> and I'm going to let Kira go first. Okay, so I picked... What did I pick? Oh, Where We Belong by Emily Giffen. Giffen? Giffen? Giffen. 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 She's an American author. So Marion Caldwell is a 36-year-old television producer living her dream in New York City. With a fulfilling career and satisfying relationship, she has convinced everyone, including herself, that her life is just as she wants it to be. But one night, Marion answers a knock on the door, only to find Kirby Rose, an 18-year-old girl with a key to a past that Marion thought she had sealed off forever. From the moment Kirby appears on her doorstep, Marion's perfectly constructed world and her very identity will be shaken to its core, resurrecting ghosts and memories of a passionate young love affair that threaten everything that has come to define her. Dum dum dum. Dum dum dum. And I picked My Not So Perfect Life by Sophie Kinsella. She's a British author. So we're doing a little American versus British here. <laughs> um, everywhere Katie Brenner looks, someone else is living the life she longs for, particularly her boss, Demeter Farlow. Demeter is brilliant and creative, lives with her perfect family in a posh townhouse. We need to say posh more. And wears the coolest clothes. Katie's life, meanwhile, is a daily struggle, from her dismal rental to her oddball flatmates to the tense office politics she's trying to negotiate. No wonder Katie takes refuge in the not quite true Instagram posts, especially as she's desperate to make her dad proud. Then, just as she's finding her feet, not to mention a possible new romance, the worst happens. Demeter fires Katie. Shattered but determined to stay positive, Katie retreats to her family's farm in Somerset to help them set up a vacation business. London has never seemed so far away until Demeter unexpectedly turns up as a guest. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our crazy rants for the second time. <laughs> I think this was a better one, actually. I think so, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Sometimes two times makes it better. Yep. Until next time. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, book friends. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening along with us. Head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. 
to be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 